Man of Scream. In the Great Hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 95 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to talk about the next two episodes of season one of Super Friends. These will be the episodes entitled The Ultra Beam and The Menace of the White Dwarf. This is episode 11 and 12 of the 1973 season. Let's call it season one of the many various incarnations of the Super Friends series. After this, there will be only two more episodes of Season 1 coverage, so believe it or not, my coverage of Season 1 of Super Friends is winding to a close. And uh, before I get to uh, these two episodes this week, I have some feedback to address. This week's feedback comes from the friend of the show, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode number 85. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Based on this beginning of Season 3 of the Filmation Cartoons, it certainly seems that having two-part Superman segments did give writers the opportunity to develop the plots a little bit more, which made for better episodes. I have to agree that the Superman segments here were better than the Superboy ones, possibly because of this. In Luthor's Lethal Laser, there's that alliteration again. It was good to see Jimmy Olsen figuring out that the moon's lesser gravity would allow him and Lois to move the 600-pound door. We don't always get to see Jimmy's brain power helping out. It was also good to see that Luthor's take-over-the-world scheme was really just a ruse to give him the opportunity to try to destroy Superman. That's a motivation that makes more sense for him than just robbing banks and such. It's also good to see a team-up of Luthor and Brainiac, even though this version of Brainiac is more robotic and seems less intelligent than the comic book versions. In Can a Luthor Change His Spots, I have to go with Jimmy Olsen's instinct to be suspicious of Luthor from the outset. It does show Superman's good nature that he's willing to give Luthor a chance, but I think Jimmy's approach makes sense, and I have to wonder why Perry White seems so accepting of a reformed Luthor, even in a zany Haney story. With Forget-Me-Not Superdog, I liked your description of it as Panic in the Sky Goes to the Dogs. I'm not entirely sure that a dog can get amnesia, but I'm willing to go along with the idea for the sake of the story. When Superboy said that he might have to take Crypto to another world, I was reminded of, a, of the story that parents sometimes use to tell their kids about their dog going to live on a farm as a euphemism for the dog's death. In Superboy Meets Mighty Lad, we get a fairly mundane story of a Superboy wannabe, but Crypto shines in this one. Never trust someone that your dog doesn't trust. I'm looking forward to the remainder of your Season 3 coverage, short though it may be. Live long and prosper, Dave. Okay, there's uh, quite a bit to unpack there in Dave's letter, and uh, I do agree that uh, the Superman segments were improved in Season 3 due to the fact that they ran over two parts. You know, just it gave the story more room to breathe, rather than forcing everything to be wrapped up in a kind of a seven-minute format. I uh, really don't have anything to add to uh, Dave's comment on Luthor's Lethal Laser, other than, yeah, I, like him, was good to see Jimmy use his brain power. Jimmy can uh, tend to be used as a patsy sometimes, but it was good seeing him there being able to think along with the story and uh, get accomplished what needed to get accomplished. And I'm glad to see Dave agrees on uh, Kenna Luthor changes spots, and I was kind of with Jimmy as uh, 
being suspicious of Luthor, you know, in a story about Lex Luthor, you know that at some point his desire to destroy Superman is going to take over and ruin whatever chance he has of changing his spots. Anytime he sees Superman, he would be willing to give Luthor a chance, but, you know, I was with Jimmy the whole time being suspicious of Luthor. I mean, even now, if uh, you see it in the modern comics where Luthor pretends to be, uh, or I don't even know if he's pretending or just uh, saying that he is on the side of the angels, Superman has a hard time believing it. And sometimes in the more modern comics, he's the only one unwilling to accept Luthor's heroism at face value. Forget me not, Super Dog is what it is. Um, yes, the panic in the sky goes to the dogs. And I don't know that a dog can get amnesia anyway. I'm with Dave. I'm about not being sure about whether a dog can get amnesia, but you know what? It's a Silver Age story, and yeah, I do remember the Another World being a, as euphemism for the dog's death. You know, one thing I'll say about my parents, especially for the issue, all the issues I have with my dad nowadays, euphemisms for death were not something that we did. When a relative or a pet died, I knew that they died, and that was that. There was no going to live on a farm in my house. And I have no further comment on Superboy meeting Mighty Lad. It was what it was. You know, I'm always, always trusting your dog's instincts. If, if your dog doesn't like somebody, then maybe you don't need to be around that person. Just saying. So, that's all I've got. Thank you, Dave, for writing in uh, your feedback. Uh, you can join in on the feedback as well if you like. Manascreen at gmail.com. So now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the Ultra Beam. Hang around, folks. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen. And I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start with the Ultra Beam. Original broadcast date was November 17th, 1973. I have no listed uh, guest cast for this episode, so we're going to go immediately into our synopsis. Brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Two misguided scientists, Hank and Ben, have invented a blue beam that they fire from a blue jet at gold fields to extract gold quarks. Well, a few more trips and we'll have wiped out most of the gold in the country. And everybody will be better for it. Sure. Instead of people wasting all their time and energy acquiring gold, maybe they'll concern themselves with more important things, like improving the quality of life. You know, Hank, I was wondering about Batman. I think he must have located us through the Seismological Bureau. At their lab at a building labeled Ultratech, they use the containers of collected gold quarks with a rectifier device to convert quarks into metal. Thus, they feel their process benefits by eliminating gold while allowing easy production of needed metals. Their beam, however, disrupts nearby mines and quarries, causing defective materials. When put in the spectroscope, iron should produce these colors. Now let's see what our iron ore produces. The steel in the skyscraper came from the mine where I got this ore sample. Why, it hardly contains any iron at all. No wonder that skyscraper almost collapsed. 
Let's try the copper ore. The copper ore has practically no copper in it. That explains the bad telephone cable. And bad limestone was used to make the cement for the dam. And even Marvin's blackboard, made from somehow defective slate. So that blue jet and its blue beam are at the bottom of this. Causing high frequency vibrations that affect certain minerals in the earth. We've got to stop them. We've got to find them to stop them. We'll patrol the whole country and keep a watch for the blue jet. I'll take the western half. I'll take the east. I'll patrol the seacoast. Robin and I will try to pick up their trail from where we last saw them. Wendy and Marvin have instructions to call us on the bat radio the next time a strange tremor occurs. As soon as they give me the location, I'll let you all know. And maybe we can intercept that blue jet. The Seismological Bureau, a, a Getty machine, which tracks tremors, picks up a strange pattern. Mr. Wimple, look at this line. It's wavy. It's not like the others. Strange. Very strange. Very unusual. Strange enough to put in a call to Batman? Might be worth looking into. Maybe another dam or skyscraper is in danger. Where does the tremor originate? Why, due north of here, 50 miles away. May I use your radio, Mr. Wimple? Please do. All tuned to the bat frequency. Hello, Batman. This is Wendy. Acknowledge, please. This is Batman. Go ahead, Wendy. There is a very peculiar earth tremor coming from 50 miles north of the Seismological Bureau. Mr. Wimple says it's very strange. Thank you, Wendy. We'll investigate it. When that pattern allows Batman and Robert to spot the blue jet, Ben and Hank have to sabotage it so that it will cause false readings. When Wendy and Marvin are at the bureau with the director to fix the device, Wendy and Marvin decide to check another pattern, in case it's a mistake, before alerting the super friends. They find the Ultratech building where Ben and Hank explain their work and let the kids accompany them on a flight. Why, you were the ones who came to the seismological bureau! Right! <laughs> and you planted that magnet! Right again. <laughs> if you traced us here, you must have found it. He found it. That much? Why, he didn't even know enough to fetch and carry. He knew enough to find your scent on the flag and trace it right to the magnet. Why did you plant that magnet under the Getty graph? We didn't want anyone to find us. Why? People wouldn't understand that we're really helping them with our process. What process? Quarks. Quarks? Quarks. Those are quarks. Quarks are parts of atoms. An elementary particle of matter. What are you going to do with them? Well, the quark rectifier can arrange the quarks in any structure to form any element we want. Copper or iron, for example. What happened? We're having a trial run to make iron. There it is. Pure iron. Do you use the blue jet to gather the quarks? We better stop talking, Ben. Those kids are getting too nosy. Now, why don't we entertain them while we have the whole operation moved to some other place? Good. Invite them to come along for a flight on the blue jet. <clears throat> Say, how would you kids like to see us extract quarks? We're going to get them at a very special place today, a fine supply. If we go, maybe we can find a way to let the super friends catch the blue jet. It's chancy, but okay, let's try it. Okay, sounds like fun. No, fine, let's get aboard. The director alerts the super friends who track the jet to where the scientists plan to destroy a major government gold supply. When the blue beam disorients Wonder Woman in her plane, Superman uses a mirror from Mount Palomar to stop them. Later, the metals created from gold quarks have reverted to gold. Batman! Robin, are we glad to see you? Are you kids all right? Of course they are. Anything else you want to interfere in? As a matter of fact, yes. 
You gentlemen are going to have to stop ruining all the useful minerals in the earth. They just wanted to destroy all the gold. That's because gold is the root of all evil. How people use gold is what makes it good or bad. But people don't know how to use it. They say that's why they were trying to destroy all the gold. Their intentions are good, Batman. But their view is very narrow, Wendy. An idealist is a wonderful human being. As long as he doesn't let his idealism cloud his judgment. See, fellas, that's what you did. You were so anxious to do what you thought was right, you couldn't see that what you were doing was wrong. And incidentally, your iron seems to be undergoing a change. It's turning back to gold. I told you the quarks might prove unstable and revert to their original form. Yeah, well, I guess we should have experimented more. It's all turned back to gold. How fortunate for Hank and Ben. Now they can return the gold to the rightful owners. This is another one of those episodes where the villains are not necessarily villainous in the sense that they don't have villainous ambitions. They believe that gold, which in this case means money, is the root of all evil, and they're going to get rid of it with their blue jet and their blue beam. They just don't realize that the nasty side effects that it's having for other metals, which causes all kinds of issues. And this episode starts right off with Hank and Ben. You know, they're not necessarily evil. They think they're doing good for the world, but you know what? They're not. And they're destroying all the good. And, you know, they're both wearing uh, yellow jumpsuits with black collars. They look very 60s Star Trek to me. And the blue beam is sending out circular waves, which is turning the gold into what you think is some kind of useless metal, but it's creating iron ores and copper and stuff like that. So while the metals no longer have the value of gold, they are still useful metals, I guess. And apparently Marvin here is having a rough day at school. He's writing, I must not talk out in class a hundred times. I had a teacher in second grade that made us do those kinds of things if we missed homework assignments. We never had to write it out on the chalkboard, but we, if homework was, as I recall, more than two days late, we had to write something to the extent of, I must, you know, hand in my homework on time, like 20 times or something like that, just uh, so we got the message. So now the uh, SDI screen at the uh, hall of the Justice League is going nuts as disasters are happening all over the world. A skyscraper is falling, and Superman is going to take care of that. And then Marvin decides that the strange things that are going on are related to his blackboard falling apart. I didn't mention this here, but as Marvin was writing, I must not talk out in class a hundred times. His blackboard just kind of shattered and fell apart in the classroom. So Superman goes out to the skyscraper to uh, catch the steel girder, and uh, as he's doing that, the onlookers do the uh, It's a Burn, It's a Plain Superman bit. And uh, the people cheer Superman as he saves the day, and you know what? I love seeing that. And you really don't see that so much today in uh, modern stuff. You know, people cheering, Superman's rescues are one of the hallmarks of Superman. At least on screen. Granted, he doesn't do it for cheers, but as a viewer, it's real uplifting seeing uh, people support him. Too bad Zack Snyder never noticed that. The only way he could fathom Superman getting any kind of support was uh, having Superman die taking a bone through his chest. Hopefully, in future Superman movies, that will be corrected. So, Aquaman uh, saves uh, the dam, and... There's a little too much narration in the sequence where Aquaman saves the dam. You know, I can see what he's doing. I can see the gates are jammed shut. And I can see that he's swimming and breaking into the gate. As much as I love Ted Knight's narration, it's overkill here. And I feel like I'm watching the Filmation cartoons again and not in a good way. For those of you who remember my coverage of Filmation, one of my big complaints about that was the over-reliance on narration to tell us what the characters are doing as we're watching them do what they're doing. 
Moving on from that, uh, Batman and Robin are investigating the blackboard. Does anyone have any idea what might make a blackboard shatter? I've got it. Snapping your fingers? Uh, I don't think so, Robin. I mean a sharp sound. A sonic boom? No. It's possible, Marvin. Haven't you heard that a certain frequency can shatter a glass? Like with your voice, you mean? Yes. Let's try it. Robin? Do. Me. So. Hmm. Nothing. <laughs> Crumbling tumblers. Like wow! Nice going, Wonder Dog! But Wonder Dog wasn't yowling when the blackboard shattered. I realize that, Marvin. But in what other ways could the blackboard have been vibrated? Earth vibrations? Right. But I didn't feel any this afternoon. But maybe the blackboard did. Look, Wonder Dog's voice shattered the drinking glass, but not the windows, right? Exactly. A tremor of one frequency can be felt by one object and not another. Then the blackboards could have been broken by an earth vibration. We'd better find out if there were any vibrations, and if there are going to be any more. Gee, how do we do that? By checking with the Seismological Bureau. Earth vibrations might have cracked the dam. And the skyscraper. Let's go. Robin suggests a sharp sound, and to prove it, we get some bad singing, and the glass doesn't break until Wonder Dog makes some cringeworthy noises that make me shudder. Robin also suggests Earth vibrations, but Rob Marvin, of all people, is shooting that down. I think Marvin is shooting down ideas from Robin just because Robin is good at shooting down ideas from Marvin. I don't think actually Marvin actually believes what he's saying. He's just trying to shoot down Robin as kind of a measure of, re of revenge. One of my issues with the characterization of the superheroes in this show is the pretty much absolute dismissal of the junior super friends which you know i guess sometimes when it there's a sense of okay kids the adults are talking here but why does robin get to be one of the quote-unquote adults robin is really no older than the junior super friends but it seems though just because he gets to hang with batman all the time he gets to shut the kids down whenever he gets an opportunity so now we're going to learn eventually about how earthquakes work after wonder woman fixes the power line from her plane basically what she does is she carries the wire from electrical lineman to lineman to restore power to wherever she's restoring power to. There have been some power outages here recently uh, due to some recent uh, snowstorms. Some heavy wet snow has fallen on the area and there's been a bit of wind, which you know knocked out some places in this, not where I am, but surrounding areas, especially in northern New Jersey and Pennsylvania. You know, people have been without power for almost a week, and you know what? They could have used some of this uh, quick work that Wonder Woman is uh, performing here. Meanwhile, the narration tells us that Hank and Ben are still hard at work as if we couldn't see that for ourselves. They're still destroying gold, and one of them, I think Hank is the tall one and Ben is the short one. I could be wrong about that, but either way, the short one it bounces on springs. So, there's that. So now we get our earthquake lesson. We learned about tremor lines and how earthquakes attract. This is the Getty graph. Getty stands for Ground Electronic Tremor Indicator. Hey, there's a vibration line. It's called a tremor line. There are more than 50,000 tremors a year throughout the world. Look at this model of the Earth's crust. Let's pretend the rocks at this place slip. A tremor is produced. It travels to the Seismological Bureau, here. And my Getty graph tells where the tremor started from. And this is where we are. 
Would this tell us if there was a tremor which could have broken the blackboards? Or the steel girder and the skyscraper? Or the dam? It would tell whether there was a tremor in their vicinity. Marvin's school is here, the dam is here, and the skyscraper here. Then all we have to do is check out the records. Yeah, examine the seismological charts right here. Good idea. You kids get to work. Robin and I will get back to the Hall of Justice. Right, Batman. Right. The records of past tremors are here. I'll help you analyze them. It's a good lesson for kids that may be concerned about earthquakes. I've always uh, found this stuff very fascinating myself, but your mileage may vary. And the juniors are going to say at the uh, Seismology Bureau, and uh, Batman says that they're going to return to the Hall of Justice. I wonder if that's a mistake. That, I believe, is the first reference to the Justice League headquarters as the Hall of Justice, as the show is still calling it the uh, Hall of the Justice League. I'm guessing that'll be shortened in later seasons after the show comes back in 1977. So here, um, the Super Friends have all the uh, broken stuff all over the uh, hall floor as they examine everything. And it's showing damage and it's strange. And they realize that there have been no Earth Tremors exactly. So, uh uh-oh. And one of the things they mention is that all of the materials come from the Earth. Which I found kind of strange because doesn't everything come from the Earth in some way, shape, form, or fashion? Why are these particular items so special? So meanwhile, while the Super Friends are investigating, Hank and Ben are still getting rid of all the gold. The seismograph is suddenly detecting something, and it looks a little bit different than uh, some of the other earthquake readings that they're used to getting. And the narration says that they're extracting uh, quarks from the gold, and there's a new tremor here, and they've got a beat on it, and Batman and Robin go investigate. When they arrive on the scene, they spot the blue jet emitting a blue beam, and the jet leaves, and once the beam stops, the seismograph also calms down. So that pretty much narrows it down for the Super Friends, and we know that the jet is causing the trouble, as if there was really any doubt. It's curious that Batman didn't call Superman to chase down the plane after it flew off, but I guess that would make this episode a lot shorter if Superman just chased the plane to wherever it was going and caught the criminals that way. So in the next scene, we get the uh, exposition that the uh, blue quarks are being turned into any kind of metal that needs to be turned into. So basically whatever is needed for, you know, people to build or whatever is being, uh, the gold quarks are being converted into that. And we're going to find later on that that's not going to be the best way to go about things. But these guys' plan is to make people care more about more important things by getting their attention off of gold. And when they say off of gold, it means they're referring to getting people's attention off of monetary wealth. Apparently they feel as though people are putting too much emphasis on money and getting ahead that way. You know, money does make the world go round. It's nothing uh, debatable about that. You know, keeps the economy going. And and granted, people will say that money uh, cannot buy happiness. Well, not think of being broke. Just saying. So Batman is putting metals into the spectroscope and we're finding out that the metals aren't what they're supposed to be. And I want to know how long were these guys at this for the defective material to have already been in things that are produced? I mean, how new was the blackboard? I mean, the steel was a construction material, so that could be new, but how old were the electrical wires that Wonder Woman was replacing? Electrical wires can be up there for years before anything goes wrong with them. Anytime, you know, somebody does, you know, some kind of super villainous plan... You would think it's something that started recently. I mean, if some of these materials have been in use for years, it doesn't add up necessarily that these guys just started doing what they're doing. But I'm guessing I shouldn't look too much for logic in these episodes. I should just go with the story. So now Hank and Ben are at the uh, Seismology Bureau trying to steal the seismograph, telling the juniors that they're tourists. And now we get some comedy as Ben bounces around after taking a flag off the director's desk. 
It's meant to be a distraction, but eventually they get the director to explain the machine to them, and Ben slips a magnet under the machine. And the director has nothing better to do, clearly, than to explain everything that's going on. And we're going to see that Ben sticks, or Hank, I don't remember which one actually did the sticking, puts a magnet underneath the seismograph, and clearly that's going to affect how the machine works. And the next time we see the machine, we can clearly see the magnet underneath it. Very good uh, animation to remember to keep us showing the magnet. I mean, it would have been easy for the animators to forget that the magnet was there and just run whatever images of the seismograph they already had, but at least in this first go-around there, remembering to draw the magnet underneath the seismograph. I am not going to, however, confirm that it stays there. So the magnet does its job and gives the super friends a bad reading. And if you're watching closely during the radio report from Wendy to Batman, in, in one shot you see Superman in the back of the Batmobile. Maybe uh, that shot is from the uh, balloon people in which Superman actually did ride in the Batmobile. Because very quickly, the next time we see the Batmobile, Superman is gone as if he was never there. So I'm going to go with that he was never there. So Batman reports that the readings are wrong and that Wemple checks the machine circuitry. But you know what? He's, as eagle-eyed viewers, we know that he's missing the magnet beneath it which is still, right now, plain as day to the viewer. Now, this next shot that comes after the scene where Hank and Ben are shown making iron, the magnet is gone from under the seismograph, and Wendy and Marvin are hesitant to call the super friends, despite Wemple's assertion that the machine was fine. When Wemple suggests that something happened, though, Wonder Dog, through charades, indicates Hank and Ben, the only other people to visit the machine. And it would really help the viewer, right here, if the magnet were still being drawn underneath the machine. Like I mentioned, I wasn't going to confirm that it was going to remain there. It's gone. However, the machine is still, quote-unquote, damaged. And if in the previous scene, seeing the magnet underneath the machine indicated that it was compromised, then the magnet really should have remained, unless the episode is trying to develop some kind of mystery for us, whether the machine is still compromised. But for some reason, the uh, director's lunch is under the machine, and... Uh, Something pulls the metal lunch pail, and that's how Wonder Dog discovers the magnet beneath the machine. So, with the magnet removed, they're going to get an accurate reading, but Wendy is still afraid to call the super friends in case it's wrong. So, their confidence in the seismograph machine is shaken by the actions of Hank and Ben. So, being that they're afraid to call the super friends in, Wendy and Marvin do what Wendy and Marvin do, and they check it themselves. And, of course, that gets them into trouble. So, the little machine that the director gave them points to the building we've seen the blue jet go into, and in and out of, and sure enough, Wendy and Marvin, like they always are, have stumbled onto the enemy's lair. And here is our villain's explanation moment. They assert that they are helping people by turning gold into more helpful items. Both groups have taken an opportunity to talk to each other privately in front of the other group. Basically, uh, Hank and Ben and Wendy and Marvin make a big shows of talking privately, even though the uh, opposite party is right on the other side, like five feet away from them. So while they're flying toward their next stop, Hank and Ben are talking about nuclear fission and fusion, and how it relates to their work and how... They can manufacture iron ore and copper ore. Batman and Robin find uh, the Ultratech facility where the plane is being held, and it's amusing seeing Batman and Robin having trouble getting past the secretary. It doesn't stop uh, Batman from looking into the hangar and seeing the uh, kids' bikes, but it is rather amusing. And this is how they find out that the kids are on the blue jet. Ben and Hank are still believing that they are helping the world by getting rid of the gold, as money is, like I said before, the root of all evil. So while they are working, an alarm goes off, and Wonder Woman is going after the blue jet. They refuse her orders, and now everyone is converging on the jet as they embark on their final mission. Apparently, in light of what Hank and Ben have been doing, the U.S. government has moved the gold from Fort Knox to an underwater cave. So the blue beam disables both Wonder Woman's jet and Superman until the Man of Steel has an idea, and it's great to see Superman coming up with new ways to defeat the villains. 
He's got a mirror in his hand, and he uses it to reflect the blue beam and eventually shut it down. And after he's done, the show makes a good point of indicating that Superman returns the mirror. It's always fun seeing Superman go to any kind of scientific facility and uh, need to borrow something. And, you know, because he's Superman, they give it to him. So, that's another trope of the time. So now we've got the lesson that they, that Pank and Ben can't decide for everybody what's good or bad, and it's how people use gold that makes it good or bad. Gold, like anything else, is a tool and has to be used properly. Then the episode will end with a bad joke about Superman landing too hard, causing the building to shake as Superman is taking the kids to lunch. And, uh, as they're flying away, Wonder Dog accidentally takes the director's lunch with him. So... It's nice, though, that everything worked out for our quote-unquote villains as their machine was faulty and eventually turned everything back into gold. The episode, uh, says that the gold was returned to its rightful owners. I'm not sure what that means. Most of the area stuff they had taken was from mines and from the ground, so I guess it was somehow returned to the mines and the grounds, waiting to be mined by future generations, I guess? I don't know. So, again, these episodes aren't great. But the superhero action has done very well for its time, and I like the fact that the animators let the magnet stay under the machine, except that it did create some inconsistency when it suddenly disappeared when they were looking for it. It would have been cool for the kids to see the magnet as the characters on the show are looking for it, at least the kids in the real world, and give them a moment to yell at the screen and help their favorite characters. But beyond that, I have nothing further to add about this episode. I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with The Menace of the White Dwarf. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I'm the host of the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. On the Superman Forever Radio Podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever Roundtable Discussion Group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around, and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to finish up this week with The Menace of the White Dwarf. Original broadcast date was November 24th, 1973. Uh, We have some guest cast listed. Uh, Casey Kasem was The Raven. John Stevenson was Colonel Wilcox. Norman Alden was Paul Martingale. Casey Kasem was Mace Martingale. Olin Sewell was Vinnie Martingale. Norman Alden was Gateview Prison Warden. And Danny Dark was the spokesman of the NSC. So, not really guest cast as it is the regular actors on the show just doing some other voices. And here is our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. While adding air to his bicycle, Marvin and Wendy find the bicycle disappears. A spaceship has also made a locomotive, condemned building, and trucks disappear. Friend, a rather disturbing UFO has intruded into our airspace. And between its initial point of entry and the last recorded notation of its flight path, it has managed to snatch up and carry along with it 
a series of objects totaling over 14,000 tons. Something to think about, eh? Snap judgments, anyone? Anything that could do that would have to be... Yes? Go on. I was going to say a white dwarf, Colonel. A white dwarf? That would do it, all right. As it happens, the entire staff at the National Observatory thinks so, too. Would you check it out? Sounds like fun. You have data for us? Coming up right now. Wendy, there is something going on. Let's tell them about the bike. Hold it a minute, you two. All right, Robin. Checkpoint. At Wheeler Junction, one locomotive snatched up, carried away. Got it. Go on, Robin. Checkpoint. At Carverville, one condemned building snatched up, carried away. All right, go on, Robin. Checkpoint. At Clearview, one bicycle snatched up, carried away. We were there. That was my bike. Got it, Robin. Any more? One more. Checkpoint. Grover's Corner, four pickup trucks snatched up, carried away. And that's a lot, Superman. So, you three rub shoulders with a white dwarf, eh? Superman, do you mind telling us what is a white dwarf? Aquaman, you're closest to the video bank. You do the honors. Here is a star, vastly bigger than a planet such as Earth, and with a far greater gravitational pull, naturally. But sometimes a strange thing happens to a star. It begins shrinking until finally it becomes what astronomers call a white dwarf. As you see, it has shrunk to the size of a small planet, but it has become more and more dense. As a result, it still retains its original tremendous gravitational pull. It's like a giant economy-sized flying magnet. Right, and even a sliver of a white dwarf could have done all that. And since this is the spot where the white dwarf probably impacted, let's go take a look. Some of us should examine these other checkpoints for clues, too. Good idea. You and the others handle that. Robin and the kids and I will check the probable impact area. Investigating, Batman and Robin with Wendy and Marvin and Wonder Dog find the missing items and a, a death's head ring from the Raven. Golly, Batman. You look like you're seeing a ghost. I am. A ghost named Raven. Raven? The super scientist that Superman sent to prison? There's only one Raven, I'm happy to say. And this is his ring. Marvin. You asked me who could be behind all this, remember? Raven? But he's in prison. Superman will find this information very intriguing. <laughs> Tell Superman not to waste his time looking for me, Batman. At the time and place of my choosing, I'll come looking for him. <laughs> Back at the hall of the Justice League, Superman examines the fantastically ingenious receiving and sending shortwave set built into the ring. He confirms what the others have suspected right along. It's Raven's ring, all right. Leaving this for us to find was his way of repeating his old threat, remember? What threat was that? It was after Superman single-handedly had Raven apprehended and brought to trial. Let's play the electronic transcript for Wendy and Marvin. You have been found guilty of a terrible crime. Your attempt to jar the Earth from its axis might easily have resulted in the extinction of the entire human race. I am a scientist. My experiment dictated that I take that risk. A sense of humanity would bid you not to. Is there any statement you'd like to make before sentence is passed upon you? Yes. This was all Superman's doing. Give him this message. Tell him that the prison has never been built that can hold Raven. Gee, but I don't get it. Yeah, Raven's still in prison, isn't he? 
Theoretically, yes. But as soon as Colonel Wilcox calls back, we have a feeling we'll learn that... Well, I'm back with some good news, I'm happy to report. You checked with the warden? I did. And he personally assures me that the Raven is still in his custody. Is there anything else I can do for you? Yes. Alert the warden that we intend to pay him a visit. Superman and Wonder Woman check on the Raven, who is supposed to be in the special prison. They find he has escaped. And then Raven steals the prison with his white dwarf device and uses an invisibility screen to escape. Next, he tries stealing a submarine, which is saved by Aquaman, while Superman and Wonder Woman again fail to stop him. Plotting the Raven's flight pass... Take a look at Raven's flight pass we've posted. So? <sighs> look! Here's the first flight path, right? So? Wait! Here's the second flight path. I still say, so? Here's the third flight path, and here's the fourth and last. They all intersect at this one point. Marvin, you're a very observant person. Well, just a knack. The point of intersection. Hmm. Raven sure seems to be interested in it. Yeah. I can hardly wait to show this to the super friends. Why wait for them? What? Marvin, why don't we check this out ourselves? Wendy, we couldn't do that. Why not? The super friends are always telling us to be self-reliant, aren't they? Sure, but, I mean, we just can't. Well, what I'm saying is, it would be wrong to... Okay, the majority rules. Wendy and Marvin locate a farmer who has a green rock surrounded by strange mushrooms. Fact of the matter is, we thought you was the fella that's been plaguing us. Real pesky fella. Just can't seem to take no for an answer. Marvin. Uh, this pesky fella, was he tall and thin? Yep, long, thin drink of water. Was he bald? Balder in a speckled hen's egg. With dark glasses, right? I'd say we is discussing the same fella. Mr. Martingale, do you mind telling us, what does this man want from you? The Sky Stone. Go fetch it, Benny. Here it is, Pa. I found this a while ago. Or maybe I should say it found me. I was doing my chores in the pea patch when I first heard this noise. Then I sees this light. It's a getting brighter and brighter. And soon I sees why. Whatever it is, it's blazing. It's blazing straight down on me. It was better than a week before that hole stopped to smoking. And when it finally did, it seemed to bring on a bumper crop of mushrooms. Anyway, I started digging and finally, that's how I found the Sky Stone. And this is what the Raven, I mean the pesky feller's been trying to get? Bound and determined to. Offered all kinds of money for it. Mr. Martingale, can we borrow this? Hold on! That stone's not leaving this place. It's become a family good luck piece. We want to show it to Superman and the others. Why'd you say so? In that case, we'd be pleased and proud to. It is green kryptonite, and the mushrooms are also from Krypton, and cancel the gravity effects of a white dwarf. When the heroes are busy in a strategy session in Washington, 
Raven warns Wendy and Marvin that he will steal a historic building. The kids plan to warn the heroes, but Wonder Dog runs after a cat into a building. The kids follow and discover that the building being stolen is the Washington Monument, which ends up on a hidden floating island with Raven. Superman agrees to hand over the kryptonite, and the Raven sentences him to be imprisoned in the stolen prison. Remember the prison. Now you're going to occupy the very same cell that I once did. The Miracle of the Mushroom. In the space of two hours, the mushrooms have reached their full growth, and now Superman can feel that Raven's Island is falling. No, I'm not going to occupy your cell. Really? Why not? Haven't you noticed? Your island in the sky is sinking. Oh, oh no, Superman, that won't work. Check your instruments. We, we have lost a little altitude, but a simple adjustment will fix that? I'm glad to hear that, because we're falling faster than ever now. I, I don't understand. It isn't responding. Listen, Superman, I, I'll make a deal with you. A deal with a convicted criminal? You wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> we'll crash, Superman. Ah, oh, such a pity. Save me, Superman, please. That kryptonite, toss it overboard, fast, if you want to live. Uh, just a little bit of uh, bookkeeping. The Raven was the name of a supervillain in this episode. The Raven is also the name of a female superhero from the uh, Team Titans. A- at the time this episode aired, however, Raven had yet to make her first appearance. Just to be clear, the Teen Titans version of Raven made her first appearance in DC Comics Presents number 26 in October 1980. And she was created by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. But that version of Raven will not be appearing on this episode, as this episode takes place seven years before that. Or was released seven years before that. Who knows when these things actually take place, which isn't really relevant. So this episode starts off with uh, a spacecraft disturbing a bunch of chickens on a farm, and the pilot makes a train invisible. He does the same thing with the uh, construction site and Wendy and Marvin's bicycle. Now, I don't get to think about the bicycle. Wendy and Marvin have a two-seater bicycle. They both have to pedal to make this thing go. Why don't they just have separate bicycles? It seems as though that would make things a lot easier for them. Not having to pedal together, they could just kind of pedal on their own. A bicycle doesn't, isn't that hard to move, but I don't know. Just the idea of them on a two-seater bicycle with one dog kind of hanging around in the back seems kind of silly. But it is what it is. Here is uh, Colonel Wilcox, and he is reporting on another UFO to the Super Friends. I love how he talks about these things as if it's just the uh, normal operations of the day. Superman announces that this damage was obviously done by a white dwarf. Yes, obvious perhaps to Superman, but not to me. And uh, Batman agrees because, you know, once again, it's obvious. So again, when the MR want to report the, the bike disappeared, the Superman just shuts them down. Which, you know, I can understand maybe Robin or... Batman being a little cold to the junior super friends, but, you know, Superman is supposed to be this congenial character. It just seems odd that Superman will shut them down as quickly as he does. You know, I would imagine, you know, maybe if Superman didn't have a moment to address what they were saying is he would reassure them that he would get to address their concerns in a minute instead of just, you know, kind of for all intents and purposes telling them to shut up, shut up, kid, I'm on the phone, you know. It's just very weird characterization for Superman to to do that. I mean, you really don't see Wonder Woman doing that a whole lot. You know, she's always willing to listen to what the uh, what the kids are saying, and for some reason, so was Colonel Wilcox, but not here. So uh, here is Aquaman doing today's science lesson, just because he happens to be closest to the projector. 
And then he's going to tell the kids what a white dwarf is. Basically, it is a, uh, according to this, I don't know the science myself, but a white dwarf is a shrinking star that becomes dense, that's what the show tells us. And now Batman is a wielding a pointer as he tells that even a sliver has a huge uh, gravitational pull. What the show is telling us is that a white dwarf is a star that shrinks down and is condensed into the size of a small planet, but still has the uh, gravitational pull of that it had when it was its full size. And that seems to be an accurate description of a white dwarf based on the very limited research that I just did. So I'm going to check it out, and again, Batman is stuck with the kids. Everything has been dropped off at the impact site, and uh, it seems as though all the uh, stolen stuff has been taken to one place. And the Wonder Dog has a uh, brief fight with a pink balloon, and since he can't get anyone's attention, even as the balloon follows him to the group with where Batman and the kids are talking, Wonder Dog will cover himself in what appears to be snow or something, and will dress up as, oh, basically as a white dwarf, as suddenly he's going to walk upright by, uh, by the heroes. Marvin calls him the abominable snowman, but uh, as soon as the, the balloon pops, uh, they find the the raven's head ring. The death's head ring, which is property of the raven, and uh, this is where we learn that Superman has tangled with this guy in the past. So apparently Superman sent Raven to prison on an individual mission all by himself, and we get treated to some kind of court record of the raven, and I'm not sure who was trying him here, but... He blames uh, Superman for sending him to jail, and Superman is kind of watching the feed with a smile. So, this is this is by nature going to be a very Superman-centric episode, because while, granted, the Raven does not appear in the comics as far as I know, the show is going out of its way to link the Raven to Superman. So, being, being that, it's clear that Superman is going to be heavily involved in the resolution to this episode. So they're going to check out on Raven. Uh, Colonel Wilcox uh, says Raven is still in prison, but Superman wants to check that out for himself. And I like that. Superman, you know, not taking it at face value. He wants to see for himself. It's something, it's a kind of thoroughness you would expect from Superman. So apparently Raven is the only prisoner in this massive prison. It seems like a waste to have this huge prison and only one inmate. But here he is, pacing back and forth in his cell here. And Superman grabs his cape and finds that Raven is a robot, and I guess that means what we all thought it means. Raven is out and uh, unleashing havoc on the world. So there's an attack on the prison. Now Superman gives a huge punch and gets everyone out of the prison as the White Dwarf comes and steals the prison with Superman and Wonder Woman in hot pursuit. Apparently the Raven had a countermeasure which involved some kind of space glass that temporarily blinds Superman and that allows the Raven to get away. And then now we get a lesson of how the machine is making stuff disappear. You're looking at a diagram that illustrates how we see an object. These dots moving out from the house represent photons, units of light energy focused on the retina of the eye. And there, the information is transmitted to the brain, which registers its impression of the house. So it's obvious that in order to see, we must start with the photons. Now just suppose that Raven had created a device that sent out anti-photons which would arrange themselves into such a dense, solid pattern that they would block photons coming from the house. Then you would have what amounts to a visibility shield. The eye would no longer see the house. But Superman, would the anti-photons block your x-ray vision? If Raven could create an anti-photon device, he could certainly create reflective mirror-type photons that would deflect even my x-ray vision. So now you know how Raven escaped from Wonder Woman and Superman. 
But Jeepers, how will we ever be able to catch up with Raven now? Uh-oh, a marine troubler. So now we've got a submarine that's out of control, and Batman deploys Aquaman, who doesn't do a whole lot in, in these episodes. He mainly gets help from the fish, although he does display a great feat of strength. But even his great strength and two blue whales are unable to match the strength of the White Dwarf. And uh, when I say Aquaman doesn't do a whole lot, I'm saying Aquaman doesn't do a whole lot individually. Anytime Aquaman does something, he relies a great deal on the sea on his ability to talk to the sea life to get what needs to be done done. He does very little. He compels the fish and the whales to do a lot of it for him. I don't know, maybe in the early going, Aquaman doesn't have the kind of cap- physical capability on himself that I, I would think he, that he would come to have in later incarnations. But yeah, meanwhile, waiting for these ropes to strangle Aquaman and the whales as the sub is suspended about 26 feet above the ocean. So apparently Aquaman and the whales are just hanging there. Now Superman and Wonder Woman show up and Raven drops the sub. And now Raven was in the huge gravity field, which knocks Wonder Woman into the ocean because the high G-force will cause her to black out. But Superman fights through it and he gets to Raven, but is distracted by Wonder Woman's call for help. So Superman leaves Raven and catches the invisible jet. And in an interesting shot, after that, Superman is flying the invisible plane back to safety. You know, normally when Superman flying a plane to safety, you would think he's underneath it, carrying it where it needs to go. But nope, here he is sitting uh, in the pilot chair uh, operating the controls while... Wonder Woman takes a snooze next to him. So now, believe it or not, out of all people on this team to do so, Marvin is going to make an important discovery. All the Raven's flight plans intercept at one point. And it's kind of amusing at first, as Wendy could care less until he figures out that they all intersect at a certain spot. So, Marvin wants to tell the Super Friends, but as she is wont to do, Wendy wants to investigate this on their own. She's really all about them being taken seriously by uh, the Super Friends and... It's something that is needed because the Super Friends don't appear to take the junior members very seriously. You know, every time they want to contribute something to the conversation, they just get shot down. So they follow the map to this cabin uh, run by these uh, three farmers here, uh, a da- an older man and his two sons, and uh, they try to chase them until they realize that the kids are acquainted with Superman. So basically what we're going to find here is that the Raven has been harassing these people. These are the Martin Gales, uh... Their father is Pa Nightingale, and uh, the other two guys have names, but they're not relevant to the story. And uh, like I said, the Raven has been harassing them, and but we don't know why, and they say he won't take no for an answer. He reminds me of a few pushy individuals who are trying to buy my parents' house, despite the fact that it isn't up for sale. So, they do know what the Raven wants, though he wants what they call the quote-unquote Sky Stone, which, in this drawing, honestly, looks like a chocolate chip cookie. But apparently many years ago, this meteorite landed in front of Pa, and... It helped him mushrooms grow, of all things. So, okay, so we get a story from Pa. He'll tell them the, he'll spin the yarn of how this rock landed like two feet in front of him and knocked him back and ripped his pants and made him fall on his ass. But the kids asked to borrow it, but Pa won't let it go. However, as soon as Wendy says she's going to take it to Superman, Pa is proud to give it to her. If he didn't want the stone to leave, why not have them bring Superman to him? So. Marvin will walk into the Justice into the Hall of the Justice League with the green stone. The animation didn't really indicate to me that it was green, but apparently it's a very faint green. Like I said, I thought it looked like a chocolate chip cookie, which cookies are usually a very light brown, like a beige. But nope, this stuff is supposed to be greener than I thought it was. Marvin brings it to Superman. He has a very frightened look on his face, vibrates a little bit, shakes, turns light blue, and then falls into Batman's arms. And Batman seems very calm as he is catching Superman and brings him to the round table. 
And when Marvin is asking what it is, there's a very amusing moment where everybody screams in unison at him, Kryptonite. And this is where we're going to learn the uh, origin of Kryptonite in the Super Friends universe. Where is there? Pa Martingale's place. Raven's been there several times, trying to get a green stone, which has been in the Martingale family since... Never mind that now. Where is this green stone? Marvin will be right in with it. Hey, wait till you see what Wendy and I... What is this stone? Kryptonite. Kryptonite. In all the far-ranging galaxy, the only substance against which Superman has no defense. Kryptonite's radiation reduces him to the condition of an invalid. A glimpse of Krypton, a once lush planet, doomed to die by hurling a billion fragments of itself into space. And who knows, from that final explosion may have come that fragment of Kryptonite, that alien visitor that sped across trackless outer space to finally find its target on Earth. Quickly, Superman's colleagues act to seal the kryptonite in a lead-lined chest that totally blocks its crippling radiation. Superman, only momentarily affected, is soon his former self. Ah, easy to see why Raven would give anything for that little chunk of stone. With it, he could have totally immobilized Superman. The thing Marvin and I can't understand... Go ahead, Wendy. Well... Well, how come Raven wasn't able to snatch up that dinky little cabin? It's incredible, all right. Wendy, Marvin, were there any mushrooms near that cabin? He's right. We forgot to tell you. There were thousands of them. We never saw so many mushrooms before. Funny-looking ones, all green and... Like these mushrooms? Exactly. <laughs> I've got the picture now. Operation Hitchhiker, right? Right. Some mushroom spores must have hitched a ride with that kryptonite. But golly, could mushrooms cancel out gravity? Not ordinary gravity, such as we have here on Earth. But the gravity field of a white dwarf, that's possible. Gentlemen, I'll get right down to cases. Washington is worried about Raven. I wish we could tell you there was nothing to worry about, Colonel. How bad is it? At the moment, very bad. With his invisible shield, we can't get to the Raven. And he can attack when and where he wants. Gentlemen and Wonder Woman, I think the National Strategy Council should hear your views. Can you come to Washington right away? We're on our way right now, sir. You kids will have to hold down the fort while we're gone. But what if, what if there's an emergency? Just use your heads. What is it we've always told you? Brain power is superior to brute strength. Good. That's one of the two things you'll have going for you. The other is Wonder Dog, of course. You know, Super Friends, I haven't mentioned this much before, is based on the Earth-1 continuity of DC Comics. Basically, the Silver and Bronze Age. Like The uh, reference sites that I use for Super Friends basically describe the Super Friends Earth as kind of an Earth-1A. So, we're getting the Earth-1A origin of kryptonite, which also gives us a brief description of the uh, destruction of krypton. Now we learn that lead blocks the kryptonite rays as Batman puts the uh, kryptonite in a lead box. And somehow the kryptonite has spurred the growth of these mushrooms. 
and that's gonna that's gonna provide a shield from the white dwarf because they're from Krypton. So that's going to come into play a little bit later. So now, after being uh, told to use their heads, Marvin and Wendy mess with the Raven Ring, which is definitely not using their heads. And Raven is told to communicate a message to Superman. So the kids go off to Washington. Not sure how many hours it took for them to get to Washington, but they are pushing the five o'clock deadline. Of course, the taxi they're in gets a flat, and uh, then Wonder Dog will run off chasing a cat all the way up to the top of the Washington Monument. So what's going to happen next? You guessed it. So now the Washington Monument is going into orbit with the Junior Super Friends, Wonder Dog, and a cat stuck on board. And I guess the Super Friends were so busy in their meeting that they couldn't try to save the monument. I would imagine uh, the, the Washington Monument, which is basically just kind of a large spire sticking up from the world, from the ground up into the sky, is not noticeable. You would think somebody would have noticed, uh, hey uh, guys, the Washington Monument is flying away, but nope. Nobody interrupts the meeting for something that important. Strange. So, uh, Raven clearly needs somebody to talk to as he creates robots of himself, and when the kid shows up, he shows up all of his inventions. Superman takes some mushroom spores from the Martingales, and I like how it's mentioned that Super- <coughs> Superman is going to trade the kryptonite for the stuff that the Raven stole. So now Raven is putting Superman on trial and charging him with putting Raven in jail, and I guess guilty as charged. We saw Superman did that earlier in the episode, there was a very, uh, convincing video feed of it. So the kids go home and Superman is sentenced to prison by Raven and the huge kryptonite mushrooms are making the island fall. As you, I'm, you recall before, the uh, kryptonite mushrooms block the effects of the white dwarf. Now, Raven doesn't necessarily believe that the island is falling, but Superman has to go check his instruments. This island is in the sky. Wouldn't he feel it falling to Earth? You know, if you're outside standing on something and it's going down, there's very little that you would need to indicate that you are, you would feel it. You wouldn't need to check your instruments. You would know. So now Raven doesn't want to die, and he's very, uh, he's kind of kissing up Superman a little bit to get him to, uh, save the island. And <laughs> Superman is stalling, which is hysterical. I really like how Superman, uh, makes Raven. Over the course of this podcast, we've seen previous incarnations of Superman do that to the criminals. So, ironically, uh, the kryptonite is thrown off the side of the, uh, island, so Superman can regain his strength, and it goes right back to uh, Paul Knight Martingale. Superman uh, slowly brings the island down to the ground, and Raven goes back to jail. And Superman does all of this single-handedly. You know, one of the, I guess, complaints the Justice League writers have is, when you have Superman, what's left for the rest of the League to do? And in this episode, there wasn't much for the rest of the League of the Super Friends to do. He took care of the villain and saved the younger members of the team. Sometimes, I guess all you need, all you need is Superman to, uh, solve your problem. Despite the fact that you have, you have three other characters in the league that need something to do as well. So this was one of the better episodes of the season, and not just because it focused on Superman, but because it's one of the few episodes that actually has an honest to god villain. The Raven doesn't have a pet cause, he's trying to get his revenge on Superman, and after seeing so many people trying to do the right thing for the wrong reason, it's good to see a villain doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason. And just being a villain, you know. A villain's got a villain, and I'm glad to see the Raven doing the villainy. Alright, so next time it'll be the penultimate episode of Season 1 coverage of Super Friends with the Mysterious Moles and Gulliver's Gigantic Goof. Until then, if you would like to send me some feedback, it's always welcome. Manofscreen at gmail.com You can leave a message on the Facebook group. Just search for the Man of Screen podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Mana Screencast. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye.
The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. <laughs>